This episode of the Craft Sanity Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you who donated $1 a month through Craft Sanity's Patreon page. Learn more at CraftSanity.com. Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast, an interview show all about art, craft, and creativity. Well, if you couldn't express yourself, how would you de-stress yourself? And if you couldn't make and build and sing, and knit and paint and dance and spin, would you go crazy? Well, if you're going crazy, here's something amazing to help you keep it together. One, two, three. Craft sanity, craft sanity. This is episode 174, and I'm really excited to bring you a conversation with a very creative woman. This is Lee Redmond. I'm 35. The name of my business is Leaf Cutter Designs. I live in Oakland, California. Okay, so technically that was our sound check, but I really like to let you hear the guests introduce themselves in their own voice. It just seems more exciting than when I do it, but I am not going to completely shirk all my responsibilities as the host of this show. I'm going to tell you a little more, in fact, about Lee and her amazing projects that she does. Uh, She just came out with a book called Knit the Sky, Cultivate Your Creativity with a Playful Way of Knitting. And it is beautiful. It's just a beautiful book. It has these lovely illustrations that we're going to talk about during the interview. What I love about this book is that it's not your typical knitting pattern book where you have few dozen projects and then you know you get the patterns and then there's beautiful photography and you do what you normally do i love that this book is illustrated and there's a lot of text you get to read some prompts that will set you on your way to do some very creative knitting projects you will get your cues from the sky from gumball machines all sorts of fun and unusual things will inspire your knitting if you check out this book. Before we get started with the interview, I want to also point you to leafcutterdesigns.com. Uh, this is a great place to visit to see what Lee has been up to for a good long time. She started this in 2008, and we're going to talk about her business, but it's really quite fun, and you do need to know a couple of things before we get started. Uh, Lee is the woman who got the tiny letter craze going. (laughs) She launched the world's smallest post service. And we're going to talk about this, but she sends tiny letters and cards and tiny packages and also does some um, invitations as well. And you you just really have to go check this out on her website. And I'll have some links from craftsanity.com. So I'll uh, point you in the right direction. Lee's business really is about getting people to just celebrate the everyday. And um, I love that there's like so much magic going on on this website. There's just a lot of fun things to purchase and give to friends and projects to do. Before we get started, I have some people to thank. I want to thank all of you dear, lovely Patreon sponsors. Thank you so much for contributing and keeping this show going. I really appreciate it. I also would like to thank Ted and the crew over at ACSHomeandWork.com. 
this is a great place to get tea towels to embroider and print on and sew into other things. They're great people over there and they do a great job of keeping customers happy and a lot of us are pretty crafty. So thank you, Ted, and high five the whole crew. All right, so I would recommend grabbing a notebook and a pencil or pen because I'm thinking that during this podcast, you might get some ideas about how you could bring a little more whimsy and fun into your life. She likes to have fun and she doesn't believe that you're ever too old to make forts in the backyard and send a tiny letter. (laughs) So I recommend that you use that notebook to jot down a couple things that you would really like to do. Things that are on your list of things that even if they seem a little bit, I don't know, maybe like you're, you think, man, people are going to think I'm too old to do that. You especially need to do that. Definitely. I'm in the middle of making a fort that's really elaborate. So I'll share a little bit more about that later on. But anyway, I think we're all getting into the spirit. And this podcast recording came at a really great time for me because, like I said, I'm in the middle of a magical project like this. And I needed to hear from someone who could, who really could validate it. (laughs) So I'm, I'm really glad to get a chance to bring you this conversation with Lee. First of all, let's talk about Knit the Sky. This is a book that, um, when was your publication date? I think it was about two months ago. Have you been touring with your book? Yes. Um, I spent a week in Southern California doing signings and teaching workshops and yarn shops along the way. And then next week, I'll be up at the Columbia Gorge Fiber Festival in the Dalles um, teaching as well. Oh, yeah. lovely. Can you describe the book a little bit for people that have not had a chance to get their hands on it yet? How is this book different than most other knitting books Absolutely. out there? Absolutely. It is a book full of very playful, whimsical, kind of thematic, story-based projects. So the easiest way to explain it is really just to go to the first project in the book, which is a scarf that you make. And the, the book title, Knit the Sky, is based on this project. And you get different yarn colors that are sky colors. So say a bright blue and a light blue and a white and a light gray and a dark gray. And then every day you observe the weather out your window and you add one thin stripe um, in colors that the colors that best match that day's sky colors out your window, and then you add it to the scarf. And so then at the end of the year, you have a one-year weather report um, in the format of a scarf that you can wear. And, you know, it's like you end up with this wonderful, beautiful object at the end that you get to enjoy for years to come. But really the heart of it is taking that time every day to observe your world around you. And the knitting is almost an excuse to do that as much as it is because you want a scarf, right? <laughs> right. Um, so, you know, so that's one example. There's another one where you um, collect gumballs from gumball machines around town and you keep track of the order that the colors dispense and that determines the stripe order in a pair of socks. Um, <laughs> there's there's another one where you uh, you knit an entire scarf in one day and you, you knit, it's called sun salutation, and you knit um, a circle into the end of a scarf, literally as the sun is breaking over the horizon, and then you knit, knit, knit all day, and then you put it around your neck at sunset. And um, so they all have some kind of little story or creative process that you go through. And what's kind of fun and different is that, you know, my sky scarf here in Oakland, California, say, will look different than, you know, someone's sky scarf in Seattle or, you know, in Paris or wherever. And so they're 
you get this wonderful diversity and sort of personalization um, in the final aesthetic as a result. And there's something with a story that you can tell, too. Well, and that's the beautiful thing about this is every single project starts out with a there's a narrative to guide people along and inspire them to do this really unique project. But then they also gain in a way that they document their their own life or something from their own experience while they're knitting. So it's not just follow these steps, end up with this finished product. You're basically exactly um, people are going to end up with project projects that are wildly different, but yet there's some similar traits. And I I think the question that's hanging out there in the air that the people listening right now are going to want to know, I mean, is where do you get these ideas? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's a good question. I have the same question. I mean, they kind of just pop into my head, but you know, I know it's not that simple. I'm always kind of looking for moments when the mundane ordinariness of things kind of suddenly sort of reveals something extraordinary or surprising or, oh, I didn't notice that, but isn't that kind of weird or kind of wonderful? And then, you know, when those, when I notice things like that, thinking about, you know, I love to design objects and activities and experiences that help us access those, those moments. So I'm kind of, I guess it's just I'm kind of always on the lookout and then somewhere in the back of my brain or deep in my heart, I'm like constantly synthesizing everything. And then the stuff just seems to pop into my head at the end of all that. <laughs> Certainly, when you know, if you go through the book, it's clear, especially based on the little introductory essays, that a lot of these projects are, are very personal and inspired by, you know, my life and certain relationships. And there's one inspired by my, by my grandparents. There's a a necktie inspired by a long distance relationship I was caught up in. And so, you know, the the inspiration also quite literally comes from the concrete details of my life. And, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of them are still make sense for other people to make. And Mm -hmm. then there's also, you know, one of my main hopes of the book is that someone might read it and kind of get in the groove of this way of thinking and then come up with other kind of conceptual based knitting projects based on their own life that, you know, highlight what's most important to them or kind of, you know, the things that matter most to them. And and there's even a um, section in the back about kind of guiding people on how to develop their own, um, which is fun. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the really cool cool things about this book is it really is kind of a jumping off point where people can take these projects and put their own spin on it. One of the projects um, is a scarf where you or two scarves that you knit it with the same time with a friend. And um, yes. I love this concept. The twin this... stick, um, the one called twin stick treat. Yeah, can you talk a little bit about that one? We will. We'll share yeah, this sure. one, and then we'll, we'll we won't steal any more thunder <laughs> from from the project. So um, this one was uh, inspired by. I remember my mom talking about when she was a little girl um, that she had a friend uh, at school, and after school they would walk to the ice cream shop or popsicle center, wherever it was, and they would they would get a twin stick popsicle and you know go in on it half and half money wise and then you break it in half and it suddenly one popsicle becomes two right Mm -hmm. um so inspired by that um object um in this in this project you and a friend pick one color yarn that you both love and then you split it into two balls or you probably end up getting two skeins and then um you make two balls and then you actually knit two scarves side by side on one set of needles passing the whole project back and forth between the two of you along the way. And then at the end you cast off and then that separates the two 
in, um, the, the two scarves as if you're breaking the, the twin stick popsicle and then you each get one. Mm-hmm. And it's so lovely. And you talk, I mean, you even have on, um, this is beautifully illustrated. Now, people, that's one thing we didn't actually talk about, that this is not, um, there are, there's no photography in here. Um, this is all uh, hand illustrated, which is really cool. And um, Yeah, by uh, Lauren, Lauren Nesseth is the, is the illustrator, and she just did a fantastic, beautiful job. Now, it was you, such a treat to work you, with her. Do you know Lauren, or did you meet her through this um, project? I, I met her through this project. I, when we were researching illustrators, she was kind of my favorite that I put on the list, and then we ended up getting to work with her. So I oh, felt lovely. very lucky. That's great. Yeah. Now, have you done a twin uh, scarf project with so, any, any of your friends? Um, my my mom and I actually recently started one, so we're we're in the middle of it. So especially since this one was inspired by her, I thought that would be fun to do. Yeah. And uh, one extra little detail you can do. So my mom and I each chose a sort of textured stitch pattern. Cool. It would be our kind of signature pattern. And so when, when I have it, I knit in my signature pattern on both scarves, and she does the same. So when we separate them at the end, we'll also be able to tell who knit, you know, which inches of it, which will be nice. This is a fun little detail. Yeah, that is a fun little detail. And and how much do you knit before you pass it back to her? We're doing like about six inches and then okay. passing back. But it, um, you know, it, it also kind of depends if you're sending in the mail, you know, maybe you want to do it every 12 inches because you don't, you know, you don't want to have to. <laughs> right, that could get expensive. 20 packages worth of Posted. Yeah, you know, but if it's really your next expensive. door neighbor, yeah, you could pass it every one inch, or you know, right. you, could you could pass it back over the fence. together while you're working on it. <laughs> Have a conversation and just pass it back and forth. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's flexible, and that's true for a lot of the projects in the book. The part of the hope was to the, the main point is kind of the the story and the idea, and then people can kind of make adjustments so that it fits both their life and their particular like skill level of knitting. And a lot of the projects, you know, you can keep it simple or you can pick a really complicated pattern that you match the concept with if you really want to, you know, make it more technically challenging. I'm really curious about how you came to knitting and, you know, any other creative endeavors you had as a kid. I mean, were you always cooking up plans with your friends, like to try to figure out like some really creative, um, plan for the for how you're going to spend your time when you weren't at school um what were you like as a kid right um let's see I I definitely made things constantly I gravitated towards that very very early um my I have a, a Montessori preschool mother who made sure I had lots of fun art supplies around and uh, I just I just I guess I just took to it so much and then her being an educator she saw how much I loved it and then you know provided books and, you know, different art supplies and other supporting materials to sort of nurture um, what she was seeing in me. So that was, that was amazing. And I mean, I grew up in a family where like twice a year, we'd, my, my parents would pull us, me and my brother out of school and take us to the art museum and we'd, we'd all play hooky and, you know, and I think, and I remember just as a kid kind of standing in front of these paintings in awe, trying to figure out like like why that dot there? Like where did that even come from? How is this thing possible? You know, so I, I think a combination of um, just always kind of loving the tangibility of making things and the visual realm too, um, combined with like a curiosity about how things work and and why things are the way they are and where things come from and um, that kind of thing too. And then I I, I think of it also. I spent a lot of time. I grew up on the Southern California coast. 
And I spent a lot of time kind of like with my family walking beaches and mm-hmm. snorkeling and collecting sand dollars. And I really think that uh, that kind of retreat from like the sort of concrete jungle and drama of the middle school campus and things like that actually was really informative. Um, I could kind of hear my own voice. Mm-hmm out there and in the ocean. And, um, I think that had a, I think that had a big effect too, because I, as much as I like to make things, I also like to collect things and I'm really inspired by so many of the things that already exist, you know, like seashells, for example. So Mm -hmm. I think being a kid and having my father scuba dive and, you know, sort of surface the water and hand me these treasures from (laughs) the, you know, the seafloor really was made, made a big impression on me. And I thought, wow, like that, urchin shell is amazing like could I make something amazing that you know opens someone else's eyes in in the way that that shell is doing to me kind of thing so yeah I guess that's where it started and then in terms of knitting um my my father's mother so my grandmother Marianne she gave me my first knitting lesson I think I was seven or eight um and I made a little green scarf for a stuffed animal but she knit constantly um I think every night I've ever hung out with her in my life she's been in her chair knitting um, so that's, that's where that started. That childlike wonderment is something that you celebrate and, and try to get other people back to, it seems. And I, I hope I'm not like interpreting yeah. your work in a way that's, um, not accurate. Oh no, but... I see that. That's right on. And what's funny is I think I'm actually a better kid now than when I was actually a kid. <laughs> I was actually, I was kind of serious, but maybe I was just taking it all in. I was like kind of quiet and kind of serious. And then you know, by the end of high school, I had completely done a I almost feel like I'm making up for being such a serious kid. So last year, I built this little makeshift tea house in my backyard. I, I told myself, because I'd wanted to, like, for a couple of years, I'm like, oh, I want to, like, build a real tea house, you know, like, have a foundation and, like, do it right. And then it was it was involved enough and expensive enough that it wasn't happening. So one Sunday <laughs> right. afternoon, I was like, all right, Lee. You've got three hours in a garage full of junk. You're going to make a tea house. So I did it. And it was so fun. That's so cool. An old stained glass window and like wooden sewing machine drawers and this giant dictionary and a little stool of my grandmother's. And then over the course of um, a couple of weeks, I, I hosted like 10 dear friends and colleagues for tea in my tea house. And I would like customize the snack to match their personality. Oh, and wow. Good for you. Anyway, it was, it was so fun. But yeah, that's exactly the kind of, you know, thing we're talking about. And I don't know why, I don't know why people grow up and think it's not okay for adults to do these things. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people, when they have children, they suddenly have permission to oh, yes. kind of and I let themselves be that. playful yes. and childlike again. Yes. I mean, I don't have children and somehow I do it anyway, even though I don't have a good excuse. But I do think that's kind of a wonderful thing about, you know, about children is that it kind of gives permission. I'm interested in this tea house. So what did you use for the actual structure of the tea house? Oh, it was a combination of lawn furniture and a bunch of uh, vintage flower sacks that I'd sewn together as curtains for a trade show. And then a ladder. That was the entrance. It was like the triangle part of the ladder. Okay. And it, the whole thing was a little bit precariously balanced, but it worked. <laughs> and then I had a, I had a crocheted, a big crocheted rag rug that I'd made, just my living room rug that I just took into the yard and put that on the floor. Sounds perfect. And there was a little chair outside where you could sit down to remove your shoes. And I hung up 
twinkly lights. So actually a couple of the teas were at nighttime. And so I put these twinkly lights behind the stained glass window and you could like look and I, and it had no ceiling. So you could look up and see the stars. Oh my gosh. I love this. I hope I love everything about it. And there's actually a little video on um, the leaf cutter Vimeo. There's like a one minute video of my my little chief. I love it. I'm going to, I'm going to totally watch that right after this. So how often do you do that? How often are you making things like that or, or doing these whimsical things? I don't know. I mean, that was a little bit of a special occasion, but it's, I mean, it's common. Like, I mean, last weekend I was in Portland, Oregon, and so I was in Powell's, the bookstore, and I, I went and wrote a note to the next person who buys my Nip the Sky book, and I hid it in the book <laughs> when they it. buy it, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, that that's a that's a small example, but it's, I think it's a, a similar sense of playfulness but how um, awesome and just that being be? open that would be so awesome for the person can you imagine like you buy a I book so. oh my gosh yeah that would be really awesome so yeah, yeah. it was fun to do <laughs> yeah um yeah and just I mean doing things for my friends my um one of my dearest friends she just had her first baby and I took tea bags and then I I made up all these little activities for her to do with the baby like you know tonight waltz with the baby or Tonight, sing a really, you know, sing a Michael Jackson song, lullaby <laughs> style, or whatever, right? Um, and like, and so I, and then like, as so I folded them up, and then like, I, like paper clipped them to the tea bag tag. So I like converted a, you know, a, a couple boxes of tea, so that when she has the tea, she gets a little activity to do, right? So, yeah, and that's really, I mean, the, you know, in terms of my business. I mean, it really started with just the, the little gifts and fun things that I have always made for friends and family and people I love, and then showing them to people and being people being like, "Hey, like, I want one of these too." Like, actually, this you know, this works for lots of people, and that's kind of what started the business. Um, yeah. And and you started your business was that 2008 when you got started? Yeah, it sounds about right. Yeah. Okay. Did you go to art school? Uh, did you have any? A, a career path that was lining you up to be to really embrace the arts and be creative. I guess I'd say yes and no. I think um, so. I went to a small liberal arts school and studied mostly politics and philosophy, and then did a minor in environmental studies. So I I really wanted to read and write um, in college, and which which also uh, I, I feel like I want to say something about it's like playfulness and whimsicalness, but I think that there's a pretty like serious kind of intellectual elements behind all of it that oh, for me is really important. And so I think um, for me, at least like not going to art school and not majoring in art actually feels like the best thing I could have ever done for mm-hmm. my art in a way. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, I basically spent four years reading and writing essays really intensely about all kinds of wild ideas. And then when I got out of college, I just started making things again and it kind of all all merged into one, you know, activity, right? I sort of, I sort of think through the things I make and make through my thinking in a sort of right, way. Right, right. Did you have a day job when you started doing these things or how did that work? Yeah, sort of. I spent a uh, first couple years out of college. I did some AmeriCorps positions. I was a school garden teacher and I did like haiku poetry around the garden and I was able to integrate some art stuff like that. Um, I ended up working um, for a year part time for a natural perfumer in Berkeley, California, and that was that was kind of an interesting, yeah, um, fascinating thing. And and she um, she has um, 
she runs a small business and does all her own shipping and stuff. So I think that definitely kind of inspired me. And then as I was there at that job in 2008, I had this, you know, this idea for just this quirky public art project, which is now called the world's smallest pool service. And so I had just had this vision of a very teeny tiny letter and I thought, Oh my gosh, this is so hilarious. I have to do this. And so I sewed myself a postal uniform and I got a, little wooden roll top American girl doll desk and I had I was wondering where you found so... that desk. <laughs> what? You were I was wondering? I was wondering where you got that little roll top desk. It's an American girl desk. And it's the roll top action and everything works. It's amazing. And so I then I would set up my little post office around town and transcribe letters for passers by. So they would write a message and then I would turn it into a very tiny message. The envelope is one inch wide by a half inch tall and there's a wax seal and a little postage stamp and an ink stamp cancellation and all the details and then I would send it to whoever they wrote their message to in a real mail with a magnifying glass and a larger mailer and so that's kind of what kick-started my business and I wasn't trying to start a business I was just doing an art project but it's like I started doing it around town and then I was in a magazine and then I was on a blog called Boing Boing and that feature happened and Boing Boing has a lot of readers and that mm-hmm. feature happened like three weeks before Valentine's Day. Oh wow. And I got like a thousand orders. And so I, I in the meantime, after I was in the first magazine, I was like, Oh, wouldn't it be fun to offer this through my website too? And so I, I had it up online when the Boing Boing a little essay went out and then suddenly I was I was going. <laughs> so when you got a thousand orders, how did you fill them? Were you able to fill them all um, by, by Valentine's yes. Day? Yes. Uh, I took over my parents' dining room and hired three people and had friends volunteers helping. (laughs) Oh, my word. And so how much at the time when you started, did you have the same pricing structure that you have now for your letters or was it? I think it was a little less. I mean, uh, at that point, it was. It was maybe just a dollar or two less. But the very first time I set up my tiny post office in, in Sweet Adeline Bake Shop here in Oakland, I think I charged $3, including shipping. And oh, shipping wow. is like $2. Oh, wow. I was not even breaking even, but that, you know, I wasn't, try, I wasn't trying to. I was just, I wanted people to participate. And I just had no idea that people would love it enough to actually, you know, pay me to spend my time that way. Right. 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 And so, and when it took off, it really took off. <laughs> so did you have to keep the, uh, the extra help? Um, I mean, now do you still have people that help you with the letters? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So um, we have, and I say we, my, uh, my brother is actually my business partner. So we co-own and co-run Leaf Cutter Designs. And then we have a couple um, uh, half-time employees these days. Yeah. So I definitely have help making all these things. It's way, it's way too much for one set of hands. We send over 5,000 tiny letters and tiny packages a year wow. these days. Yeah. That is so cool. That is so cool. It's, I just love the idea that all these people are, because, I mean, I read thousands of other people's letters, you know, right. as, as a result of You are of this. intimately involved and, in their business. Right? <laughs> I know. And people write the most, I mean, heartfelt, clever, hilarious, you know, silly, playful things. And it's interesting to think that if, I mean, I wonder, you know, my question is that this, the format being so kind of special and magical, if it actually inspires people to, to say things and write them down and communicate them that maybe never would have been said, you know, right. I, I don't know, but I, I, I imagine that might be the case. And that's so exciting. If so. so there have been thousands of tiny letters that have come through 
your business and were you oh, tens of thousands yeah at this point yeah so how many i mean do you guys keep a tally like a, a exact no tally? i don't have a number but this is making me want to go tally yeah, now you're gonna do a project we're at. about how like, many have tiny we broken a hundred thousand yet i'm not sure you know <laughs> wow and so people are go- people who are interested in having a, a tiny letter sent they go to your website and they fill out the form of what they want to say. Right. So you type in what you want the little to to say on the envelope and what it should say in the little tiny from area. And then you get to write a whole letter inside and the, the font that it's made in is very tiny. So even though the station area is an inch wide by an inch and a half tall, you can, you can get 10 sentences on there. You can actually write a lot. Okay. And, and these are 975 plus shipping. Is that correct? Or um, that's, if you're looking on my website, that yeah, that's about what I'm, right. yeah, that, I'm not going to okay. um, make yep. up a price. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that sounds good. <laughs> yeah, and that's and that's that's then shipping is added on to that. Is that correct? It's um, nice. uh, correct. Okay. Yeah, okay. I think it's three. I think it's three shipping, maybe. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Something like and, that. And so people can. Um, and how long does it take typically, depending on the time of year? How long does it typically take to have the letter? Oh, it says actually two to three days is when it will ship. So when... yeah, so we need a couple days to make it because each one's made to order with all your custom info, and then um, we we ship a couple times a week. So. It kind of depends what day of the week you order, and that okay. shifts around a little bit. Yeah, and there's different shipping speed options and things like that. So if you're if you're in a rush to make a birthday or something, you can you can you can click Express at checkout. Okay, and and there is a video also I will link to, so listeners can actually see how this tiny letter operation works here. The world's they can see the world's yeah. smallest post service in um, action. On yeah, your we website. even have yeah, great, and we even have a little stationery set. So if, if people are feeling crafty and they want to make their own tiny mail, that is also on our site, which is which is pretty fun. That is awesome. So if you, you can decide, do you want to just uh, do this as a, um, you know, a one-off, order something, have it sent out, or if you want to actively be involved? I'm sure it gives people a whole new respect for the thousands of letters that you've sent out when <laughs> they try to, like, write tiny. Do you use a magnifying glass? I didn't see on the video that I watched. It didn't look like you were using a magnifying glass to see what you were writing. No, but... I, can, I can see one. If I use a Micron 005 pen, which is pretty fine. I, I People can actually write a lot smaller than they think they can. It's largely about the pen. Right, right. <laughs> right. Don't use a bulky sharpie. And just to be clear, so when I set it up in person, I handwrite them, but it, at this point, we, we can't handwrite them. And so it's actually a really, really tiny font. Okay. Um, but okay. it's not actually a compromise in quality because it's so tiny that it makes the magnifying glass more necessary, which I think is actually good. It's an improved experience. So, so people can't so really be read clear it. about that. They can't really read it easily with the naked eye. You really do need not the microphone. As you, yeah. I mean, or not microphone, can. a magnifying glass. I can. Yeah, I mean, I can if I squint, but a lot of people can't. So it, it's just it's just more fun. So it's kind of like a secret, uh, almost a little more privacy too. So if it falls into the wrong hands, if the person does not have, <laughs> right. if, if a nosy neighbor does not have a magnifying glass at the ready, yes. they will not know your business, um, which you know could be really great. So um, yeah, and and you also do tiny packages. So yeah, what yes. comes in a tiny package? So a tiny package, you get to pick a little object, which is wrapped up in an issue of the Small Times newspaper, which is an itty-bitty newspaper that is full of articles about tiny themes and crafted puzzles and whatnot. So that's the packing paper, right? Like people use newspaper Mm -hmm. and packages. Sure. So each one, you pick an object, and then there's a little suggested message, or you can customize the message. So for example, you might pick a little compass, and then 
when they unwrap the package, it says, where would I be without you? Or maybe oh, it says, you're as cute as a dot, 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 and then there's a button inside. And the, the packages are like brown paper packages with little white string, and there's tiny, um, you know, tiny pretend postage stamps, and there's a little sticker that says, you know, fragile, tiny, and this side up, and all, you know, all those little <laughs> details are on there. Yeah. And just so people know, because people might be thinking, geez, how do they make sure a teeny tiny letter gets through the postal service? You're actually putting these into other packaging. So when people open it, it's in a normal size because otherwise the postal service might have shut you down by now. (laughs) Exactly. I actually did send um, one of the the tiny packages or maybe two inches by two inches by an inch and a half or something Mm -hmm. like that. And I actually stuck some stamps on one and it did arrive. But it's definitely, there's no guarantee. It is under minimum size. I just figured that, you know, whoever, like every step along the way, someone must have looked at it and just been like, oh, we got to keep this thing going. You know, like (laughs) they didn't want to be the one to lose it. (laughs) Right. But we do put them in, you know, a a standard size little, you know, a little padded mailer so they don't get lost. (laughs) And so is this what started Leaf Cutter? Did you start partner with, at what point did you partner with your brother? Um, that was a few years later. It was just me for starts. I've actually done a, um, I, I developed my Matchbox Speeder product before the Tiny Mail one. Um, and my, my father was kind of my advisor on that project, trying to, um, I'd made a, I'd, I'd taken a set of matches in a Matchbox and put little puppets. I drew, I painted little insects on paper and then attached them to the matchsticks and made a little curtain and stuff. And so this whole little theater came out of the Matchbox. Um, and the, each insect read, recited a haiku poem about oh, wow. that, their type of insect written by Kobayashi Isa. Um, and so I, I just made one for fun that I, you know, would just keep in my purse and, you know, pull out at cafes with friends or whatever. And then we decided like, you know, this is really fun. Let's, let's see if we can figure out a way to design this to actually sell them. And so that was actually the, the first thing. And, and we've kind of still sells those. So I did a, I did a nice big print run and we're slowly working our way through them. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, so, so, so that yeah. was the very first project. And was the tiny postal service next or? Um, there's also uh, the set of puzzle cards. They're like these pictures, they're sort of these surrealist um, illustrations that combine two things and the words combine. It's kind of a word play, picture play activity. So that, that was around the same time too. Those, those three things are really the first thing. Okay. And then you got really just got a lot of publicity for your the, the t- those tiny letters, and that's what kind of launched. Would you say that launched you as yeah, far as yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, at that point, um, did your brother join you at that point, or? Yeah. So a couple years later, um, my brother joined in, and his and he has an MBA and loves spreadsheets in a way that I don't. So that has been really. <laughs> Imagine Lovely. that. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so since then he's, he's been kind of the business side and I'm creative side and, you know, we, uh, we, uh, we rub up against each other once in a while, but really in the end, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of, it's wonderful to have those two different perspectives because there's, you know, there's a big difference between being an artist and being a business person. And I think it's the rare person who can really do both really well. Mm-hmm. Totally possible. And there are those people out there. But I, I I do the creative side better than the business side. You know, I, I could manage it at a certain scale. But when it started getting um, a little bit bigger, it was like too much of my time would have needed to be taken up by 
you know, accounting and all these things. And then suddenly it's like, wait, I'm, but I, I just like to make things and design things. Right. Right. So it's a challenge when, when a small business is scaling up, but maybe you can't necessarily afford all the specific help you'd want yet, but you know, just kind of growing pain stuff. Well, so it sounds like Um, this partnership was exactly what you needed. So you could focus on the part you like and he could focus on the part he likes and you kind exactly. of can coexist so I was very, and very help each lucky other. in that way. Yeah, yeah, very lucky in that way. Yeah, and it was, it was neat to have, you know, a family member believe in me enough to to want to join in, right? So that's pretty neat. How do you structure your business so you still have that creative time to launch new things? Getting help, like as soon as, you know, a small business can afford to hire help to remove things you know, like it's like because it was such a dream the first time I could hire someone to help me do the production work of the tiny letters, right? Because that doesn't have to be me. You know, there's there's some kinds of art, you know, some ceramics. You know, there's there's some things where everything has to be touched by the creator, the artist. But with this kind of craft-based thing, the, the magic is in the concept and the custom information, and it, it's totally fine to hire someone to help me with the you know the assembly of all the little parts. So definitely, as soon as it was possible to afford that, um, totally worth it because then that freed up my time to design new things and, you know, entertain the possibility of, you know, doing projects with publishers in addition to the stuff that I, you know, self-publish and sell direct and all of that. Um, In terms of my time, you know, it's working for myself and being a creative person, it's it's kind of just all mixed up and I couldn't even tell you when I'm working and when I'm not working to be right. honest. Um, and it I'm doesn't really correspond that, with the time of day <laughs> or the time of night. I mean, I might be just enjoying brunch with a friend on a Tuesday at 10 a.m., but then I might be hard at work at 11 p.m. that night concentrating intensely in the quiet of the night, you know? So, and, and even... And maybe I went to that brunch thinking it was just a leisurely fun thing. And we have a conversation that leads to the next product idea or whatever. Right. So it's, I mean, that's part of how I work is that any moment is potentially a creative spark. And so um, I'm happy to say, I, I don't really know when I'm working when I'm not, but I, I love it so much that I just do it constantly. And it seems to result in enough things that the world likes and enjoys and wants to see happen and will support and and so when it came to time to write a book, uh, is this your first book or did you have another book out before this knitting this, book? Yeah, this book is my first book with a lot of writing. Um, I've definitely, I've published um, quite a few things with Chronicle Books. Um, I did it some oh, guided yeah. journals. Yeah, One yeah. called My Museum and it's an empty museum that you draw all of the objects and artwork into. So it's like antique, you know, glass displays and modern picture frames and all that. And then I did a series, um, we're in the middle of uh, publishing a series with Chronicle Books. Um, the first in the series is called Letters to My Future Self. And it's a, it's like a bound book of airgrams, like airmail envelopes that fold out and it's a keepsake book. And so and there's little prompts and themes. And so it's a dozen letters that you write to yourself and then you seal them with stickers and you put the date that you sealed it. And then you put the date that you're allowed to open it and reread it in the future. Oh, wow. So it's kind of a time traveling journal. Um, and so now there's, so that came out and now there's letters to my baby. And then this season, letters to my grandchild and letters to my love came out. 
So I've done some guided journals and things like that. Um, there's another book called All Lovely Things. It's a guided journal where you're telling biographies of people by ways of collections of the objects that kind of tell their life story. Um, and I did that project with um, Penguin. So I've done some things like that. Also a board game called Connectio. But this is really the first time I got to sit down for hours upon hours upon hours mm-hmm. and write and edit and write and edit and all of that, which I love. It was it was really such a treat to get to do that. It just turned out so well. I mean, it must be very gratifying to be able to, after doing kind of projects that didn't require so many words on a page, <laughs> to be able to, to kind of really kind of stretch out a little more as a writer. That must have been kind yeah, of fun. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, it felt, it, felt, it felt great. And what kind of feedback are you getting as you go around uh, to places like Powell's? How are people reacting to this book? Um, uh, very positively, definitely. It, it seems that it's um, definitely, you know, on book tour, especially when I'm there, as soon as I kind of give a little intro and people see the beautiful illustrations, they're like, oh, 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 I love it. I need one. You know, I think it's, it's, it's really unique and different than other knitting books out there. And uh, one really fun thing is, so the workshops that I teach, a big part of the workshop is I guide people through the six-step process of developing their own conceptual knitting project based on their life and the things and themes important to them. And um, that part is just so amazing to go through with people and see what wonderfully unique ideas people come up with that never would have occurred to me because my life is not their life, Mm -hmm. right? So the other thing that I think is fun and maybe uncommon for knitting workshops is that all the creative activities and prompts and exercises and then the designing of the projects that we do at the second half, all of that, people end up telling stories about their lives. And it's like, you know, I remember in the middle of one, I was like, oh my goodness, is this a knitting workshop or a therapy session? You know, like, (laughs) (laughs) but I see that as success. And and I I see that, you know, for me, that's really, that's really exciting because I, I love the idea that um, making things and making things in community isn't just about making things in the end, you know, it's about connecting to other human beings and processing life and all of that, right? And people want to share their, I mean, because you're sharing in the book, you share stories from your life and then people want to connect and kind of add to the conversation. So that's yeah, got to yeah. be really fun. I, I, do you have uh, another book project that you're thinking of now that people are opening up and sharing with you as you travel around? Are you thinking, hmm, there might be some more room to explore here? There's, You know, there, there's definitely room. I don't know if, I don't know if the market has room for another very similar book. Um, I mean, I certainly, I mean, I could easily do another 32 projects, <laughs> you know, I'm all halfway there just with the workshops I've been teaching on book right. tour for sure. And that would be so fun. Um, you know, I'm, I'm actually the, the same editor and publisher. We are, um, we're, we're talking on ideas for another book that is totally different and not even about knitting. Cool. So, That's awesome. Yeah. Well, and the thing is you do a lot besides knitting. So, you know, I, I, that's that you have a lot of territory you could cover there. And what what other things do you do, do you like to do when you're not um, just trying to uh, develop new products and kind of keep what you've already started going? What other types of art forms are you really uh, into? It is a little hard to explain, but if you kind of think about it, it's like you, they're like little performances, but they're only for a couple people at a time. And if you kind of combine like the aesthetic of a say, a Japanese tea ceremony with the kind of, with some aesthetics of magic tricks. And like, it's it's kind of like a poem, but I tell it with objects as well as like talking and there's even conversation and I'm 
you know, shifting seashells and, you know, picking up a bottle cap and there's something hiding underneath. And so there's like these little performances. It's almost like going to the ballet, except there's only two people there. And instead of ballerinas, there's seashells. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense at all. It's a perfect thing to do in a backyard makeshift tea house that you build. It sounds like a perfect thing to do there. What also sounds really fascinating. I think a bunch of us want to now go to one of these performances. Now, are these performances that you've only done for people that you know, or do you have tell people like, Hey, I'm going to do this thing show up at this you time. Know, right, right. It's it's an it's a new enough thing that I'm exploring and they take a while to compose. And so I've actually I've been composing a couple of them for maybe a year or two, but I don't have like official performance routine set up yet. Which mm-hmm. I would I would like to actually maybe um like offer tickets and people could reserve seats and and that kind of thing. There's one that I've been working on where um I call it uh uh instant message miso. And I, I sort of set this table in this, in this, in this case, I'm the host and I have two guests and they sit across from each other and, um, I, they each get like a, like an iPhone, like cell phone box, but you open it and there's little type trays where there are alphabet noodles sorted by letter. <laughs> Thank goodness. And then they get to do, they get to instant message each other, but they have to spell everything out one alphabet noodle letter at a time as they're messaging each other across the table. And so they get like half hour to do that. And, and then I, and then I sweep them up and toss them into the, you know, glass pot of boiling water right there at the table and add miso paste. And then I, you know, serve it up and they get to, to drink their, con- to eat their conversation. Oh my goodness. That is so, so cool. So that's an example. <laughs> what advice do you have for people besides this whole book you've just written about <laughs> knitting the sky? Um, what kind of just maybe advice that they could hear right now? Do you, what, what do you have for them as far yeah. as how they can jumpstart this in their own life? Well, maybe first one thing to say is that it's it's not about, you know, being serious or being playful. It's, it's an and, right? And so right. like you can still be a very responsible adult and build a fort. It's okay. You right. Can do both, I, I am still you know? paying my mortgage. Um, yes. Yes. So there's definitely <laughs> that. And then, I, I mean, but it is true. I mean, the, the responsibilities of being an adult, all those things you list, they, they take up time and emotional energy and, you know, especially if you have children and all these things. And I, I think maybe the key is that you just, you just have to sneak this stuff into the cracks of your everyday life, or you have to figure out, okay, we're going to, you know, all we have time for is to cook dinner and go to bed. Okay, well, let's put alphabet noodles in the soup. And like, just, you know, it's like, you know, maybe my version is this whole elaborate ceremony involving miso, but like, you can also just tuck some alphabet noodles in your soup. And that can be really fun at the dinner table as people, you know, one time I did that when I, my nephew was over for sleepover. And, you know, as we ate the whole soup, like every two minutes, he was like, if you find an A, give it to me. Cause that was like the one letter of his name <laughs> right. that he already could recognize and knew. Right. So I think, I think it's, I think it's largely about the little things and that you can find a small chunk of time to do a small version. I think, I think a lot of people get overwhelmed by creative projects because they think big, you know, right. and right. they think, Oh, I, I, I want to, be an opera singer on Broadway or whatever. And it's like, rather than, rather than just resign yourself to not meeting your creative dream, just, you know, tone it, tone it down a little bit and scale it down to what you can actually do. Cause at the end of the day, all we have are 
each day, you know, and so we got to work this stuff in if it's ever going to happen at all. That's true. So sometimes yeah. you just got to give yourself three hours to, to erect something in your backyard, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or you've got five minutes to go outside and try to find some flowers to give to your friend that you're about to meet, you know, just those mm-hmm. little things that you can sneak in. That's another really key thing about your work. That's kind of a, a universal theme that I see through all of it is that it is really inspiring in the sense that if you're not going to do it in exactly the way that you've laid it out for people, a lot of these things can be adapted to um, be personalized for the the friend you intend to give it to or, you know, whatever the case may be. And, and that's why yeah. um, people need to spend some time over at leafcutterdesigns.com and check things out. And then obviously running out to check out the Knit the Sky, the book, would do yeah, the soul the well. Book, um, <laughs> yeah, and the, and the book, the easiest way to kind of get a sneak peek at the book is knittheskye.com. That'll take you straight to the book page. Awesome. And people can kind of yeah. get a sense of what it's all about and see some of the, the beautiful illustrations. And did you decide, like, right from the beginning that you did not want photography? Did you know that you wanted to have an illustrated book as opposed to... Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. And that is largely because they're so process-based that I didn't, I didn't want to have a photo of one that sort of proclaimed this is what yours should look like if you did it right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Cause people and compare. So, yeah. They compare their work. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so it's like, you know what? You don't even, you don't even get that. Like <laughs> there's no kind of check your work, hold it up to mine because yours should be your own and it should be unique. Do you remember your inspiration for knit the sky? And we don't want to steal like all the thunder from this book. Cause you explain these things in the book, but do you remember the very first time you decided to start a knitting project like this? Um, you know, I don't actually, I just started making one and I, it's, this is like five or six years ago now. And I, I don't remember like the exact moment I thought about making the sky scarf, but I was, my editor asked me the same question and I went back and I, I remembered um, this road trip I was on with a friend once and we were riding haikus along the way and we painted this scroll of our road trip. And there was one, there, the last haiku of the trip, I can, I can read it to you, I have it here, it says, clouds caught in treetops, branches carding wisps of wool, spinning memories. And, you know, at, at the time I wasn't thinking of like the knitting project, but it, it's a seed in many senses, right? Looking at right. the clouds and thinking about wisps of wool and it's like, I wasn't quite there yet in terms of actually conceiving of the idea to like, oh, yeah, and go get yarn those colors and start knitting. Right. <laughs> you know, it took a little time, but I, I think maybe that was the seed. Well, it's lovely. It's a lovely haiku and a lovely concept. And it's it gave way to the the, the most beautiful book. And I really just enjoy your work so much. And I can't wait to see what you do next. Oh, thank you so much, Jennifer. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you want the folks at home to know, either about, you know, your business, your book, or anything else that you have going on? Um, let's see. Well, maybe, maybe I'll just mention that um, I, I do post things I'm knitting and other just observations of small wonders out in the world on Instagram. So it's Lee, L-E-A underscore Redmond, R-E-D-M-O-N-D. And then Leafcutter has another Instagram account that's Leafcutter Ant. 
So um, for people, for Instagram lovers out there, there's that. And um, Leaf Cutter Designs is also on Facebook and Twitter. Um, and we do keep a pretty active blog that's full of fun things. Those are the contact details. But um, yeah, I guess that's about it. I'm so happy to be on your show. Yeah, well, I'm so happy that we get to have this conversation because it's it's just really fun. And I, I wish you all the best in the future. And I, I just want to say congratulations once again because I know I see a lot of art and craft books. And this one stands out as one that I really highly recommend to the folks at home. And it's hard with all the craft books out there to create a book now that stands out. So congrats and high five and all that jazz. Thanks so much. (laughs) Well, a special thanks to Lee for telling her story. This was a really fun podcast. I highly recommend Knit the Sky. Go check it out. Go check out Lee's other work as well. She's a very inspiring woman. And I love that she has these fun ideas. They're so fun, these ideas. So I hope you, when you look at your notebook, you have one or two ideas that you've come up with, things that you want to try. And if you need more inspiration, head over to craftsanity.com where I'm posting links to all of Lee's things that she's involved in. Yeah, and maybe leave a comment about what is on your list. I'd love to hear what's on your list. Uh, (laughs) My list is ridiculously long of magical things that I want to do. And uh, I don't know, I just, I won't ever grow up, I don't think. I love to build forts, and I'm actually in the middle of something like that right now. I was telling Lee after we recorded our conversation that I'm in the middle of making a quilt, a hexagon quilt, and it's a super-sized hexagon quilt. It is going to measure roughly 12 feet by 25 feet. And yes, that's feet. That's correct. And yes, I realize that this is a bit insane. So... I'm making this for a magazine project, so hopefully it will be worth it. I think it will. Um, I've already had, um, I had a minor setback yesterday where I was in a standoff with Mother Nature. I was trying to lay out all my hexagons and get my configuration down, and none of them were sewn together. Mother Nature won, let me just say. Uh, at one point, the big tarp like flew up, and I had rocks and clothespins and things holding it down. Obviously, this didn't work very well. Big gust of wind came, blew the tarp up. My hexagons that weren't pinned down to the tarp, um, it's not a tarp, a a drop cloth. The hexagons that weren't pinned down went flying. I was chasing them across my lawn while cursing under my breath. And I got hit at one point with some small rocks and the clothespins, like the, (laughs) the drop cloth whipped up and hit me in the back of the head. And I was so mad, like so, so very mad. I was so frustrated because I was out there. I'm trying to like lay out this giant quilt by myself. And I was just like, ah. And for a second there, I forgot about the magical project I was doing. Like the magic was gone and there was just anger, (laughs) like a lot of anger. And then I realized like how ridiculous me raising my fist to the sky, like I'm going to punch mother nature, which, you know, would not work so well. She could blow me across the, (laughs) across the yard. But anyway, um, I realized then how ridiculous the whole situation had become because I started to make this quilt because I wanted to do something whimsical and and fun. And this is part of the relaunch of my magazine. And I don't know why I attach like impossibly large projects to kind of milestone moments in my life. When I lost my column, I, I made a, a big quilt on deadline and then wrote a column about it. And did, I mean, so I, I tend to... um. This is a pattern 
folks, and some of you who've listened to this podcast before know that, that I just do these things and, oh, it's so ridiculous. But at the same time, I have to say, I was out there today, uh, the wind had died down and I sewed, I'm going to need 21 hexagon blooms and I have 19 sewn. So I need to do number 20 and number 21. And then I have to just start putting my, the whole thing together. There's no other way to describe it but to say that this is absolutely ridiculous, um, what I'm trying to do. But it's part of a fort. This quilt is part of a fort, which maybe explain the size of it. And uh, for the photo shoot, I will likely be working with just the quilt top. But I do plan to finish this quilt. In fact, I will show this to you. Those of you who want to meet up with me in Columbus, Ohio in February... Yes, in the dead of winter, I'm going to be going to Ohio, and um, hopefully it'll be a little warmer than Michigan. I don't think that's going to be possible, but we'll see. I'm going to the Midwest Craft Con, which I think is going to be pretty cool. It's a creative conference for makers, and I will be making podcasts while I'm there. So I am in the process of creating a cool kind of podcasting booth that will look unlike any other podcasting booth you've ever seen it's going to kind of I don't know it's we'll see we'll see how successful I am I have plenty of time to work this out but instead of making something the night before I thought you know heck I might as well make it now and put it in the magazine so that's what I'm going to do there is one more thing uh, I want to do well let me thank the sponsors once again first because that's really important and I don't want to put that off thank you patreon sponsors for keeping the show going I really appreciate it and I also want to thank the kind folks over at ACS home and work I am actually making some things for my my podcasting booth out of ACS fabric. I really love it. I love their natural colored tea towels. They're really great. And these, like I said, I mean, this is like fabric, folks. I mean, you can cut these up and sew them into other things. I have had great success dyeing the fabric and um, printing on it. And I'm thinking that my uh, decor inside my little podcasting fort is going to require some ACS touches. So we'll see what I can come up with. So thank you, Ted and the crew. Head over to acshomeandwork.com to check out all the cool goods over there. Let them know Jennifer sent you. Okay, there's one last thing that I need to let you guys know before I sign off. I, um, oh man, this is kind of a, I don't really want to tell you this, but uh, those of you who follow the show on a regular basis know that there's a little delay with my last podcast and I kind of got ahead of myself and this happens because I get so excited to interview people. And sometimes I mention like, Oh yeah, next week I'm going to have so-and-so. And And I really should never do that until I actually have the interview in the bag as in recorded. And I know it like really recorded. I had mentioned very excitedly as I recall that I was going to go to flower house, Detroit and go check out this really awesome exhibit. It was a live, um, it was fresh flowers completely covering the interior of an abandoned house. Well, a formerly abandoned house um, that a, um, a de- designer had purchased and uh, hosted this huge exhibition involving, oh my gosh, like three dozen designers from all over the country. It was beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And we had an interview set up for the following. We went on, a, I went with um, Jonathan, the Craft Sanity Multimedia Editor. We drove over 
took photos and took a picture of the designer and I was to do an interview the next Wednesday. So like the went the following week and I was excited because I was going to be bringing that to you right away. I was going to try to turn it around in a day or two and for reasons I don't really know for sure, the interview fell through. I could not get a hold of her that day. I'm hoping everything's okay. Um, but I just want to let you folks know that I'm really, I'm going to try to still get an interview, but I just feel bad because I told you that I was going to have that interview and then the interview fell through. Uh, yes, I'm still very interested in, in hearing the story of Flower House Detroit. I admire that project and all the people who were part of it. And I, I would love to be able to to share that story with you. So I'm going to continue to pursue that story in a non-stalker way. It may or may not pan out. I guess, you know, I should bring up the other time this happened. Um, the gentleman who sings my <laughs> my theme song. I got that as a Christmas present for my husband. I got my theme song and I uh, sent an email to the gentleman who recorded it. And I was like, oh, would you, I would, I would love it. Would you be a guest on my podcast? And he said yes. And then um, I emailed him back to schedule a time for him to be on my show. And then he never replied. I don't know if I like freaked him out or something, or I don't know. I'm not sure what happened, but, um, and I tried a couple more times and then I kind of, I kind of gave up. So I don't know, maybe I should ask him again. I mean, it's just kind of weird. Cause I'm like kind of far in my career and it feels strange to be chasing after people. I mean, I'm not an arrogant person. I mean, I, and I just do a little podcast, but, um, you know, there's kind of a fine line you have to walk between, you don't want to um, aggressively pursue people who may not want to be interviewed by you, but you also don't want to let a good story get passed because um, both of these people would be great, great interviews. But like I said, I just want you guys to know what's going on because I feel like we kind of have a relationship here <laughs> and I want you guys to know um, that sometimes what's happening behind the scenes, it's kind of sometimes complicated and I don't always know. I actually have no idea what's going on in other people's lives and way why they may not be able to drop everything and do an interview with me. So, I mean, I, I get it. Um, and I'm, I, I'm just not an arrogant person. So I, I don't take this personally, but I also completely understand that, you know, sometimes things just fall through and, and I don't know exactly why. I just really hope in both these cases, um, you know, I didn't do something that was offensive or, um, you know, off-putting. But um, I don't think that's the case. I really don't. I'm kind of blessed with, um, I think, two helpings of self-awareness. I'm going to continue to line up some interviews. And I am actually in the process of recording another batch. And uh, I'm not going to name any names because I, I know better now. <laughs> I don't want to tease you and do that again and then have to say, oh, well, you know. So I'm going to be smarter about this and I'm going to uh, get everything recorded and then I'll, I'll let you know. I'll give you some, some previews when it's a done deal. Okay, so I'll work on getting those interviews recorded and I will be back soon with another episode. In the meantime, Craft Sanity, my friends, it works for me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Craft Sanity Podcast. To support the show, click the Patreon link at CraftSanity.com to donate $1 a month or buy a handmade loom or magazine at CraftSanity.etsy.com. Same time next week will be craft.